Welcome to Prevailing Promises podcast. My name is Anna, and for those who are joining us the first time, um, really the heart behind this podcast is to interview women. We take and share stories of people who have really just walked through anything in life um, and really had to put their focus on God. The heart of the podcast comes from Isaiah 43, 2, which says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And my goal here is to really, as I said, have women speaking to women. Um, This may extend beyond that. We maybe will have some men that are touched. Um, But I've learned in my years of ministry, and especially with women, that one of the biggest encouragers is to know that you're not the only one that's ever walked a path. Um, whether it be something exactly as our guest today has experienced or something similar or even completely different. But the idea is that you can pull some encouragement and some um, just kind of renewing in your spirit by hearing somebody else's story. Um, On a previous episode, we discussed the concept of the woman who received her healing of blood and how, you know, even though we, we see the story and it's often almost minimalized in our brains because we know the ending and we know the victory that was received. We tend to forget about the 12 years that she struggled with sickness. So we don't want to necessarily dwell on the negatives, but we do want to talk about how there are hard times that come across in our lives and that we are required to walk through and really where God kind of fits in all that. So today I've got um, one of my oldest friends. I've known her since middle school, I think. (laughs) So I know a good bit of her story, but I'm going to let her really share it with you, Kayla, if you just want to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Kayla Sixero, and I am a proud Army wife, and um, I'm a daughter, and I am a good friend, so that's my long resume (laughs) right there. (laughs) She's got that friend thing down. She's got that pat. Um, And what I'm going to have her do is I'm really just going to have Kayla dive into some of her story. I want her to talk a little bit about, Kayla, if you'd be willing. just about your upbringing, you know, did you grow up within the church? What was your family dynamics like? Did you have siblings, only child? You know, where where does your foundation come from? Uh, yeah, I've had a really good foundation, um, almost probably too good. My parents have been married 36, 37 years. Um, they're in the ministry, uh, both pastors of a small Spanish church here in town. And my come to find out when you get older and you start talking to friends and family, um, I had a a golden childhood. We may not have been extremely wealthy or anything like that, but um, always provided for above and beyond. I didn't experience hardly any difficulties. Um, You know, some, some people, they experienced trauma in their childhood and I was very blessed and fortunate to not go through that. Um, but yeah, when you're raised in the church, I mean, your church life is everything, youth group, uh, children's church. I mean, my, my upbringing is very rich in the Lord and my parents did a really good job of instilling, um, just that personal relationship with Jesus at a young age. Um, and it was kind of funny because the other day, you know, organizing my little mini library, in my prayer room, I came across my first, like, I guess, readable Bible that had like the whole Bible in it. And it was given to me in 1996. So I was six years old. And my mom dedicated it to me, you know, on the dedication page. And I opened that Bible. And it was something that I read as a child until I got my teenage Bible. I don't know if you guys remember the extreme teen Bible. That oh, was yes. a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And I was so surprised to see so much highlighting and um, mm. writing under, write, you know, taking notes. Like I was apparently extremely studious as a child. And um, some of those verses, looking at some of those things I'd written as a kid, I remember like them having weight to them. And so, of course, I was like, well, I wonder what's in my teenage Bible, you know? <laughs> It's a scarier thing, place to be. <laughs> it is. And that one was a little, I mean, the child Bible was tore up, but the teenage Bible is definitely tore up. And I think that's kind of a proud thing to um, mm-hmm. own because, you know, as a teenager, how many teenagers are really interested in being in the word of God? So right. um, I, to say that I had less than a picture perfect, my husband reminds me that constantly that I'm just. <laughs> Um, a little princess and so spoiled and that, you know, he, he gives me credit now. I've come a long way, but um, in the beginning, when you become a young adult, you really just uh, being sheltered to a degree is the best way that I could say it. Didn't really understand the concept of how certain things aren't always so good. And, and yes, God is good, but, and all the time, <laughs> but there's also hard things that we have to walk through. Um, And so, yeah, that kind of just leads into, I guess, the bigger portion of my life. If you want to, did you have any questions you want to stop there? No, I just think, I think it's, it's cool that you mentioned, you know, kind of that, I wouldn't necessarily say sheltered, but maybe that bubble effect. Um, You know, I seen that a lot when I went to a Christian university where it was amazing. Like the environment was amazing, but when you stepped off campus, it's like it was a whole new world and it's not that God was any less present, um, but people weren't (laughs) responding kind of thing. So it's, you know, it's almost this, you get into this false reality of what the world is and what people are capable of doing because all you're around are, you know, for the most part, honest, dependable people who are going to do what they say and they're going to mean what they say. So you get that in your head and then you step off campus and go into a restaurant or a store or something where you hear them cursing out the cashier and you're like, whoa, this isn't my world. <laughs> like people shouldn't be that mean. So I think it's always interesting to hear, um, you know, those that were raised in the church and how it is just such a drastic difference. And I know our upbringings were a little bit different in that sense, but I love that you come out with almost, I don't want to say naive, but this lovely view of the <laughs> lovely view of the world. But I can imagine when that bubble bursts, it's probably not exactly a pleasant experience <laughs> to be like, whoa, hold on. Everybody's not quite as as they have appeared all of these years. But um, I know, at least I know, I know the listeners won't that you and Eduardo were high school sweethearts to some yeah, extent. To some extent, it was a little complicated. Um, <laughs> I had a, a very good, uh, my very first boyfriend, very good young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the three years relationship, it's young love, whatever you want to call it, teenagers. Um, after we graduated, I just, it was, it was sticky, you know, when you're an adult now, quote mm-hmm. unquote, you're an adult. And, um, you know, William was a good church boy as well. Um, and he, I guess maybe I shouldn't put his name in there. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. I, um, <laughs> if he's listening, we love you. We miss you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, he great guy. Um, but you know, t- teenagers. So, mm-hmm. and as teenagers do, um, I just 
wanted something different. I was a little bored. And so Eduardo had always been around, um, again, since around middle school, great guy. And, you know, he was always just a good friend, always wanted to pursue me. But I said, there's no way <laughs> you don't go to church one. And two, I have a boyfriend that I'm happy with and I'm having fun, you know, so young love. But um, Eduardo was persistent. And then when I was ready to make a transition, apparently, <laughs> um, Eduardo stepped into my world and really uh, just brought a different sense of reality. Um, and again, my husband, he's a great guy. He's always been a great guy. But his background is very, very different. Um, the kind of they're so I'm Puerto Rican and typically the history of, of Puerto Ricans, they're like Catholics, just like Mexicans are Catholics. And my family, fortunately, they didn't really go through that. They really didn't have like big faith in that, except my dad's side of the family. Um, but when it came down to like me, we never really experienced that. Now, in the Mexican side, it's kind of that thing where you go to church right after being drunk the previous night just to say mm -hmm. that you went to mass. <laughs> right. So that was the extent of his relationship with God or anything like that. Um, and he knew that as being a good friend and being around me for so long, that like my priority, I was always in church. There's always a church activity or some type of something. And so, you know, he, I think he was curious about it. I think he understood that that was like my main thing. But um, yeah, when we decided to date, it changed my world. It literally changed my world. He um, not to paint a picture of him being the bad guy on the motorcycle, but he was instructed and he had a little bit of life experience. And those are things that I didn't have and that I was introduced to. I mean, you know, you're 18, 19 years old, you're curious. Um, and so, you know, the relationship was great for the first about year or two. And I guess I'd say it was a whirlwind, whirlwind type of relationship where I was really infatuated with him and he was infatuated with me. And that led to, um, I guess, opening a door to me saying yes to things that I believe weren't in God's plan for me to experience yet. And so when you walk down that path, there's like consequences that come with that. Um, and I began to see myself change into a different kind of person. Um, not to say that I was picture perfect because I wasn't. I was a, a, a young girl, a teenager, even as a teenager, young lady, uh, full of emotions, up and down emotions. I was a very happy girl, but I was also very aggressive sometimes. Um, passionate is what I'd like to say. But... That's a good word to describe. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word to describe. <laughs> Very passionate. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, I can easily butt heads with friends and family, especially those clear, uh, closest to me. But um, yeah, so in the beginning, things were really good. Um, and when it came time that he wanted to take things seriously, I was 100% on board with that, with the intent that we were going to get married. Mm -hmm. And then something happened because, you know, I got away from going to church consistently and my parents, they decided that they didn't need to force me, that they were going to let me experience what I needed to experience because if they were going to force anything on me, it was just going to make me run harder from God. And when you're making your own money and you're working, um, 
you have this freedom. And when you're living at home with your parents and they don't make you pay rent, you're like, you really have this freedom. You have all this money in your pocket. You can do what you want and um, spend time with who you want. So I really had gotten away from that. But with the relationship being serious, I was like, oh, well, I, I felt the need to bring reel that back in. Um, and I was like, well, we need to do things right. We need to go to church. And he was a 100% on board. And we started going to church and we were doing well. And I guess I had cold feet before you get to the altar kind of thing. We had already purchased uh, furniture and all kinds of household appliance type things and put it in a storage unit um, that we would be married within a year. So I think at the timeline, by the time I was like 20, we would have gotten married, you know, mm-hmm. and we were we wanted to do things right. Uh, not be in debt, not be stressed out. You know, we really wanted to, we were both working and he was in college. So, um, and then, you know, the enemy, I think just took that opportunity to really mess with my head. And my poor husband um, really went through it because I ended up uh, breaking it off with him and getting involved with another young man uh, from the church. (laughs) And, (laughs) That was a roller coaster in itself, uh, just because he had his own things going on. And I believe I became kind of ensnared in his own drama. I was one of the players in his own drama, as well as him being one of the players in my drama. And that was something that was in and out of for two years. And at the same time, Eduardo really still being faithful and pursuing me. So Mm -hmm. to say that our foundation was all roses and great. (laughs) Not so much. (laughs) No, no, not at all. In fact, you know, it really did uh, do some damage. You know, I was able to get out of that. um, I'd say 22, I was like 22 um, going on 23. And I was able to get out of that whole mess and really understand what I wanted. And my husband wanted to take it slow, which I don't blame him. But um, I had to wait an additional about two years, three years. I was 25 on my 25th birthday. My husband decided to propose to me. Um, He Hmm. felt comfortable and safe enough. (laughs) And I don't blame him that there wasn't going to be any double mindedness. Um, And we were both very focused on what we wanted. And so when we got married, we got married two years after that as well. So I was 27 when I got married. I'm 31 now. and. Our relationship has always been, I would say that I was the, I guess was the best word to put it, the alpha, um, Mm -hmm. the one in charge. And he had no problem taking like the backseat to a lot of things. But um, unfortunately, my husband would often take the brunt of any of my frustrations, anything that would be built up. It would just kind of, because he was going to be there. He wasn't going to go anywhere. He was loyal. He was my ride or die. (laughs) And so, you know, things marriage the first year, I I think it gave us a a renewed sense of um, excitement. You know, I mean, come on, we've been together on and off since 2008. So by that point, Mm -hmm. you're basically 10 years in. (laughs) And so getting married was like very refreshing and exciting and we finally could live together, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, not be doing things, simple things that we shouldn't have been doing before marriage. So Mm -hmm. we were able to uh, 
take care of that. And uh, that was the weight off my shoulders. Um, and we had a great time the first year, but the second year uh, came with challenges very quickly. Mm-hmm. The financial uh, stresses, they just came like a storm and he was having a hard time. Uh, I think probably mentally and emotionally with him having recently graduated and not being able to get any kind of job, which is common. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're a man and you're that smart, you know, I'm, I tell my husband all the time, I'm like, you're literally like the smartest person that I know. Like he's so book smart. It's, it's wonderful. And he's pretty resourceful and street smart too. But I mean, his capacity to, and the patience to understand things like me- molecular science and like, I can't even say it. <laughs> I can't even say it. So, you know, it was frustrating. Um he had really taken a much longer time to finish college. He had worked two to three jobs and gone to college. Um and then, you know, him taking a break from working all those jobs. He was just working one job at Home Depot. And I was okay with that at first. I said, well, it's fine. You know, within a year, you'll probably get a job. And I was making good money um, at the company that I was working at at that time. Um, But then things started to weigh on me. Things would fall apart. Um, Vehicles needed to be repaired. And we would get a little bit of debt here and a little bit of debt there. And um, then some financial irresponsibility crept in where, okay, well, let's take a break. We'll run away from our problems. And spend a couple thousand dollars we don't have and rack up on credit cards, et cetera. And so it got to a point where it was just so difficult. We were really not on each other's team. We were really aggressive towards each other. Um, and it just, it, 2018 was a mixed emotion. The first, the honeymoon, honeymoon year was over. We were encountering all these financial issues. Um, and at that point, I remember at Christmas time, uh, we had a big family get together that we'd never had before. My sister uh, from Philadelphia come down and uh, it was the first time my dad was able to have all three daughters in one room at the same time. We had never, because we all have different moms. So we, it was a big thing and it was great. And I remember my dad sitting us down and it was kind of like something you see in the movies where everyone sits down and they open their presents and, people say what they're thankful for. And, you know, we say a prayer and my dad, you know, like gave like a speech and then everybody wanted to get mm-hmm. speeches. It was like a three hour ordeal. But um, <laughs> something that resonated with me so much was they, the emphasis on taking care of one of one of each other and um, respecting each other. And that was something that they really highlighted for me and Eduardo because um, they could see that there was tension there. And so um, fast forward just a couple months into 2019, um, we were able to get a break. My husband's again, he's military, he's in the army reserves and he was able to get, um, like a switch in jobs. They call it a change of MOS. And so he was ready to go. Uh, there was going to be a training for a year, six months in one location, six months somewhere else. And when he, was getting ready to go, things didn't go through correctly, paperwork got messed up, and they put him in an MP unit, which if you don't know what that is, that's a military police unit. Well, my husband has no business (laughs) doing anything, (laughs) policing anybody. He is a Mm -hmm. very sweet, 
kind, um, non-confrontational, passive, non-confrontational, passive-aggressive <laughs> man. I mean, he's okay with you running the show. If you know, he, he's very, very <laughs> calm man. And we were panicking and he was like, my only option was to get out and wait. And I was like, oh, we can't wait, you know, to get out of the program and to wait Mm -hmm. for another opportunity. Come, I said, there's no way this has got to happen now. We need the money now. And I told him I couldn't, I can't take it anymore. We're not going to make it, you know, And, and the way that things had escalated with our aggression towards each other and particularly me. It was just bad. It was very bad. Verbally, just really bad. Nothing physical. Nobody was beating anybody up, but it was intense. And I needed a break <laughs> anyway. So you got to I go. Said, <laughs> I said, Lord, do something. So remarkably, I said, the only way that this is going to move is if we humble ourselves and we pray and fast. We haven't been going to church. We haven't been doing what we were supposed to be doing, you know? And thankfully, my husband's always been very open to the things of the Lord and the way that the Lord wants to run things. So he's like, okay, absolutely, I'm on board. So right up until the very last minute, it was like, I believe the last week of February, uh, they finally were able to get everything changed, everybody signed everything, because it's a whole process to get that fixed, because it was an error. But in order for it to get fixed to where he would be able to go on that mission. So he gets he gets all of that taken care of. I said, okay, great. Send him on his way. My parents had a long, lengthy sit down discussion with the two of us and was like, you know, this is going to be a challenge. He had done previous um, assignments, but they were only the maximum was 90 days. So that's three months. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, this is going to be a challenge. This is very far away, you know, Um, told my husband to be on his best behavior, told me to be responsible at home, you know, taking care of what I needed to take care of being at home. Um, And so he left. And that uh, was the beginning of something that I never thought I would ever walk through, especially with my husband. I mean, my husband would get upset, frustrated, but he would internalize things. And then they would come out later. I never thought that I would embark on what I was about to embark on. And so I would say from February, March, April, we get to May and things, things are okay. We're on budget. We talk, we, you know, video chat, everything's good. And in May, I began experiencing panic attacks and I had never experienced anything like that. And it would be um, random hours of the day or extremely late. And it wouldn't like get off of me for the lack of better words. It wouldn't get off of me until the wee hours of the morning. And I remember I would have to like call my mom or my sister. I'd be panicking. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong. Nothing's wrong, you know? And they're like, well, maybe it's, you know, because Eduardo's far away and maybe, you know, you're feeling something that he went through something, check the bank accounts, you know, look online, see if he's okay. And, you know, cause I mean, who's going to answer their phone that late in the night if you're sleeping mm-hmm. and then you're working in the, all day long. So, um, I wasn't finding anything. I wasn't finding anything disturbing. You know, the money was there. Um, there weren't any emails anywhere. There weren't any Facebook messages anywhere, you know, and my husband was answering my phone calls in the daytime. Right. No red flags. Any, no red right. flags. But it wouldn't it wouldn't shake itself. And then at the end of May, uh, I would say the last the first last week of May, 
in the first two weeks of June, on the weekend, he would turn his phone off. And that put me into a tailspin. Um, and my sister was like, something is wrong. There's no reason why he he's off duty for, you know, once you're off Monday through Friday, you're off duty, you're free to do what you need to do, what you want to do. Um, essentially, it's like being in college. So there's no reason for his phone to be off almost from Friday night. He'll say goodnight to you around six or seven. And he won't turn his phone on until Saturday or Sunday morning. Like, mm-hmm. you're not in high school. There's you, Y'all are married. You're not dating, you know. And um, I was like, well, I don't know what it is. And he's saying that it died or he didn't charge it or whatnot. And they're like, no, not back to back. You need to go down there. And my parents were very insistent. And so I went down there. Things were fine. We had a great time in San Antonio. I had a four-day weekend with him. They gave them a donza. Things were good. And fast forward to the end of June, the beginning of July, and we had had a deep discussion about what his plans were for the next six months. He's wrapping up on the first six months, the next six months, where does he want to go, et cetera. And he said that he was really adamant he didn't want to come to Campbell because there was a couple positions here at Fort Campbell. And he wanted to go to... um, DC that that was like the highest honor right he had gotten like security clearance for that and I was like oh that's great absolutely I totally get it but I told him I was like upset when I was talking to him and I I kind of came unglued in that particular conversation and I said we're doing so good we're working on each other we're working on ourselves you know like things financially are going good can you just please come home And I was like, if you could just come home, I feel like we could do better and do more. And he was like, but, and he tried to explain to me in that conversation, he tried to explain to me what I was feeling, but I was at that point trying to control what I was doing. And I was like, I understand, but I was just giving him every reason why he should come home. And I was like, please promise me you will come home. Mm -hmm. Well, at that point, later on when I find out after the aftermath my husband decided to to let me know that that was the straw that broke the camel's back and my husband made a decision that would really affect us um and he became unfaithful with someone uh there at the training facility and that he actually pursued and he didn't like communication at that point was very sparse. He was just always too busy or very short with me, which is not in his nature at all. And when he became officially accepted to that part two, where we knew he, the assignment he was going to go, he called me and he told me and I said, okay, well, that's great. That's awesome. That's what you wanted. Um, Yes. I'm there you go. Okay. Um, I said, that's great. You're, uh, that's what you wanted. And I was like, well, you know, how does, how does that look for us? And he was like, honestly, I don't know. And that was the first mm-hmm. time he had ever verbalized not wanting to really be in this 100% anymore. Um, I had made threat, um, foolish threats when you're young and when you first get married, you <laughs> say things that you, you should not say because your words are powerful. There's life Mm-hmm. And death and the power of the tongue. Um, and there's a lot of words that I had to reap what I sowed. Um, and so it was the first time that he said that. And I knew that he was serious. And in that particular conversation, 
I was like, something, something happened. Something absolutely happened. And I remember I was in Franklin, Tennessee. I was visiting a friend and we were supposed to go. I was supposed to meet her somewhere to go to dinner or whatnot. But I actually drove to her house and I showed up on her front steps bawling. And she's like, it's okay. She's like, you know, if you have to move to be with him, like, do it. Don't be afraid. Trust God. You know, I was like, okay, we're going to do this. And my husband (laughs) disappeared for almost two weeks completely. Yeah. The only way I knew that he was alive was that he was on Facebook and that um, he was spending money out of the account. (laughs) Like a complete. He's eating. We're good. <laughs> yeah, a complete 180. I mean, not responding to any messages or anything, and that was extremely painful. And I remember myself not eating and being at my parents' house 24 seven because I just couldn't even sleep. And mm-hmm. my parents telling me you, you started off on the right foot and doing things right, but you really have to turn everything 100% over to the Lord. You've been trying to be in control of everything. You've been trying to be in control of your husband. And now this is the result. Like you really need to go and find God. This is the only way that God is going to do anything in this situation. So I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, you need to go to church. You need to find uh, Sister Brenda, which was my youth pastor from when I was a teenager. And they were like, you need to find Brother Gerald and Sister Barbara Clark. Mm -hmm. And they were my children's pastors. Um, And so I said, okay, mom, you know, crying and everything. And Sunday morning rolled around and I got up early and um, I went to the church building and it was a God thing because I went in, I was late because I was embarrassed. I didn't want to go to church after being out of church for so long. And I went in and I was like, how am I going to find her? There's like a couple hundred people in here. It's dark, you know, church had already started. Worship was going. And I walk in, take three steps and sister Brenda is standing to the right of me, three steps Mm -hmm. in. And she sees me and she's like, Oh, you know, how are you doing? She gives me a hug. And I come completely unglued, completely Mm -hmm. unglued. And, uh, you know, we go to the little like alcove, right outside the doors and I just tell her what's going on I'm like hyperventilating and she's like it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay you know calm down you know we'll you know we'll pray about it we're gonna get through this you know she gets me calm down and she's like let's see what God's gonna you know do we go into the sanctuary I would say not even two minutes three minutes the song ends and the Lord is so good he is just so good um, immediately, because I needed a word from God, immediately, uh, the gentleman that was, I guess they do the in-between, you know, like offering time, the gentleman that goes up there, uh, the spirit of the Lord was really moving, and he gives a word, and he's, he's pointing up, and I'm up there in the back corner of the auditorium, <laughs> and he points up, and he says, young lady, there's, uh, the Lord hears you, there's, you know, he hears that there's a relationship disruption, he's going to heal your heart, you don't mm-hmm. have to be afraid. Uh, that depression has to go, you know, and he's the Lord. Jesus is turning it all around. And I have that video to this day. That's incredible. And said, <laughs> yeah, remarkable. And of course, like in the audio, when you hear it, you can hear the people around me because they when it first, you know, when he first said young lady was pointing up there, Sister Brenda was like, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. And like, <laughs> 
these ladies that were sit standing around us that had seen me come in, they were praying, like they were praying mm. on, on me. And um, you could hear people shouting, you know, and praising the Lord. And so I said, okay, God. Mm. And I thought that he was going to do it in like a week or two. <laughs> and I was like, okay, God, you're going to do this. You're, it, this is great. It's good now. We're going to go home and it's going to be wonderful. It's going right? to be wonderful. Oh my gosh. You're going to do so great, Jesus. And you know, you know what I remember- love? I love mm-hmm. what, what I think is so cool about this is that, you know, you talked in the beginning about your foundation within the church and with your parents and everything, you know, really being this picture perfect setup. You know, they talk about that house being built on the rock and not the sand. And I love that when things got hard and even when you're at your parents, you know, that was kind of your first step to go, okay, I'm going to go back home where I know that there's safety, even if you weren't necessarily seeking God in that, um, that that was your, that was your go-to to go. I'm going to go back where it's safe. But then also that they sent you not just to church, but they said, go back to your basics, go back to your foundation, go find your children's pastor, go find your youth pastor. Those people that really helped build this, this solid foundation for you to fall back on. Because they're still there and they're still ready to pray. But I just love kind of the symbolism of that, of going, you know, I wandered away, but this foundation is still there. It's still solid. And obviously when you did go back, it was standing there waiting, you know, whether she knew she was there waiting or not, she was there and she was ready. And I just love that, that the way that that all played out, you know, leading into this. And I think I probably would have been the same way to go, oh, this is going to be done by tomorrow. I'm going to call him this afternoon. <laughs> He's going to be like, baby, I love you. I'm so sorry. Like, we're doing great. And I'm going to be like, praise Jesus. This was good. We're done. We'll just chalk it up to a couple months of suck. And we're going to move on. But I think as you're getting ready to tell us, though, I don't know entirely. That's probably not how it went down. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. And those first few steps, I mean the type of person that I had really become um, was very prideful and very secluded. And my world to a lot of people seemed perfect and seemed um, because I was always, I've always been the type of person to do so much for others and really Mm -hmm. neglect what's at home. And so uh, it was super humbling to make those phone calls to my sister and to my parents. And, you know, I'm so grateful that they didn't have the whole I told you so conversation. There was zero condemnation there. There was Mm -hmm. so much grace and there was so much pointing to Jesus over and over again. And yeah, I mean, I was like, okay, I've I've got some people here who are going to really help me through this in one to two weeks, you know, we'll be, everything will be okay. And lo and behold, that was the beginning really of a nine month journey because at that point um, there was a graduation that was going to occur in August at the end of August and the family, his mother, his two brothers um, and my mom and dad and I, we were all going to take a road trip down there and spend um, I think four days, five days, just kind of, because they get a little bit of a break. And so he would have his graduation and we would all hang out as family and just really enjoy not being in the state, you know, just enjoying. And um, up to that point, you know, I had made that connection with Sister Brenda. I made the connection with Sister Barbara and Brother Gerald. And we were praying. We were fasting. We were like, okay, God, you're going to move, you know, and, and, I was making strides to be uh, positive when talking to my husband on the phone when he would answer, you know, and he was just very like short and aggressive and 
um, I was just like, well, you know, something, something has occurred and he may not be honest with me now. He may be denying it now, but we'll find out when it's time for him. Cause he got, he got like a three week break. He was going to come home for a week and then he would go to DC. And so, um, I was like, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna have faith. We're going to do what we have to do. And when we get down there, it, nothing changed. Me being in his presence didn't really change anything. He's not very good at putting a facade on. So he struggled, (laughs) you know, he was not there. He was not all there. Um, When he gets home, he, I was like, what is going on? You know, and he was like, I just, I want a divorce. And that was the first time that he like said the actual word divorce. Mm. And I said, well, that's not going to happen because I've gotten too many promises in a short amount of time. And there was other words that I had received going to down to the altar from people I had never known. um, And people that had reached out for me from the, reached out to me from the past that had no idea what was really going on. Um, that they had a word from the Lord in regards to the situation. And there was this one promise of how the Lord was going to turn around Eduardo's heart. And that, you know, it, it was, re- it was remarkable. So essentially I had gone down for prayer one Sunday before it was time for him to come. And uh, this particular person that was praying over me, I'd never met. I've never seen in my entire life. And asked me what I wanted. I said, I just want the Lord to save my marriage. That's all I could really Mm. get out. And she's like, okay. And she started praying and she started praying in the spirit. And the Lord said that, you know, he heard my cry. He said a lot of things that he had already promised. I'm like, okay, good. You know, we're on the same path. And Mm. she pauses and she says, you want a son? Mm. And I about just passed out. (laughs) Because that is something that I have not said a soul not not one soul on planet earth knew that I wanted a child I had always been very um big in my my talk as to oh I don't want children right now you know I'll probably be 40 by the time I want kids it'll be too late I'll have to adopt you know I enjoyed my freedom and uh I was like no but when I got married secretly just seeing how my husband was with family or friends that had little kids and I was just like it would be so cute if I had a son that looked just like him like he's so cute you know and he's always wanted daughters and me too like little girls dress him up all, all the time but I always thought they would be wonderful and, and I would tell God you know but like you know when you think God's not really listening to you mm-hmm. like, God it would be so great like before we had a daughter he could have a son so he so they could have someone who would t- look after them you know right. like a big brother you need a big brother and I looked at that lady and I just was completely unglued. And she said, the Lord is going to give you that son Mm. and it's going to be with your husband, but he's got to work some things out with you and your husband first. And he's going to do everything that he promised you, but he wants you to know that specifically. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is God. And that's one of those moments I wish I had on record, you know, but nobody records when right. going for prayer. <laughs> well, I love that like... you got that confirmation, like the over and over and over again confirmation, because as I have been, you know, sitting with a lot of women, especially in the recent years that, you know, their marriages are on the rocks and they'll hear what they think is, is perhaps a promise from God. Um, oh, well, I just know the Lord's going to restore this when really their marriage is an abusive 
hostile situation. And I'm going, you know, where are you hearing these promises? And I'm not saying that, you know, God really wants divorce or wants this, you know, breaking up of a household. But, you know, if it's not confirmed and you're not hearing this, I mean, you got to make sure you know your promises. So I love that you heard it from multiple people, you know, through multiple different avenues or platforms, because there are things God doesn't like, you know, obviously he doesn't love divorce. However, that doesn't mean it's never in the cards for it to happen. And I think that that's where it gets so dicey for people. Um, you know, I, I have my my master's in, in the field of marriage and family counseling. And, and we talk about this a lot of when is divorce okay and when is it not? You know, the Bible speaks very strongly, you know, against the idea. It's not something that's loved. And I don't think that that's ever intended for the Christian household. But we also can't make up promises just based off of good intentions kind of thing. So <laughs> I love that for you, it was, it was much more than that. It was much more than just that. Well, the Bible says divorce is, is not the ideal. So obviously my marriage is intended to be saved. And I love that you were able to trust these voices that were coming in, you know, to be what God was speaking to you. And I think that that's the truly, and we even talked about this on the um, last episode I recorded. I love that value in community. Um, really surrounding yourself with people that know the word of God, that are in tune with the Holy Spirit, that are really going to say what they feel needs to be said, even if maybe you don't want to hear it. Um, and that's a vital thing to have in friendship. And I've kind of learned the value of that myself recently is that I want people to tell me what I need to be told, even if I don't want to be told it. So I'm I'm very thankful that your message was one of encouragement, you know, versus you need to let this man go. But absolutely, and the thing is with that, it was so crazy. Um, My circle I had considered to be quite large because, again, I'm I'm a giver, and Mm -hmm. in that particular point of of life, the Lord. He really took my yes and he ran with it. <laughs> it he, he was like, are you really going to trust me? Are you really going to commit your life to me? Are you going to mm-hmm. put your life in my hands? Because he began to remove people out of my life. People that I was very unexpected. Um, people that I thought would absolutely be 100% by the word. And mm-hmm. my circle almost disappeared I believe at the at the end of my journey there was five people (laughs) five hardcore people I mean people that I thought people I prayed with people I spent time with um Mm. and they were they were saying you know once we got confirmation you know then and Eduardo had decided to say that yeah you know he basically confessed like yeah I was unfaithful to you I made that decision um, mm-hmm. to be unfaithful. They they were like, okay, well, you have every biblical reason for to walk divorce, away. Yep. You know, like why hold on to anything? You don't have children, you don't have, you know, any financial assets to divide or anything. You know, you're free, you're still young and beautiful, you know, why not? Why not? Like you've been dealing with him and dealing with you and, and y'all have always just had up and downs. Why not? This is your opportunity. And, um, I just, it wasn't stubbornness. It just, I wanted, I was like, if God said it, why not? I'm going to mm-hmm. stick the thing through. And so at that particular time, um, now I want to note that I'm assuming that you committing to that did not mean that you weren't 
in pain or that you weren't struggling. Cause I, and I know that this isn't how you meant it. You go, Oh, I'm just going, well, God said it. So of course I'm going to do it when <laughs> in reality it was probably through gritted teeth and frustration of going, Lord, if you would just let me walk away, like, <laughs> let me no. go. Kind of oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. No, no. So in the beginning it was again, a lot of the emotions, I think the enemy really played on that really, really well. And so in the beginning, I, there wasn't a lot that I knew as time went on, the truth came out. And I think that the truth came out, the Lord allowed the truth come out in a certain time frame because I wasn't going to be able to handle everything I ended up finding out at the end of this ordeal, um, at the beginning, because I would have absolutely walked away. And that was Mm -hmm. very key that. I made the decision to trust in what God was saying and to take that step. So I, there is a lot of unknowns. I would say for about um, August to about October mm-hmm. um, because, you know, he had, when he had come home, he had mentioned that I had tried to be very honest and real with him when he, we were having these discussions of like, no, we're, I don't want a divorce. Yes. I want a divorce. And I said, well, what, what is it? Who was it another person? And he was like, and and I gave examples because he was very tight lipped and he was like, I had an emotional affair. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay. And so he sent and I was like, well, God kind of already told me anyway, so it's fine. You know, like I tried to be um, at that time, I tried, so I wouldn't fall completely apart <laughs> on him. Right. Uh, I tried to have a front like, okay, well, I already knew that and we're going to deal with this together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like if I could just keep it together, we can move forward. So I saw the messages. I didn't go through every single last one because from what I saw, it was my husband really pursuing this this particular person. And I was just like devastated, but I was like, I don't have time to be devastated. Like right. I have to move forward in what's going on. So he went to DC and I was like, okay, we had a plan in place of what we were going to try to do to repair things while he was in DC. And he didn't want me to go with him. You know, I said, I'll quit my job because he's going to be there six to seven months. He didn't want Mm -hmm. me to come. And so, you know, particularly those, those two uh, people in my life, sister Brenda and sister uh, Barbara Gerald, you know, um, they were like, all right, well, you know, you need to get into the word. Like you need to like, let's get some books. Let's get you in the word. And, And I said, okay, absolutely. And Priscilla Shire, remarkably, they were like, oh, have you read Fervent? And um, I was like, yes, actually, I have. I did a Bible study on this book written by Priscilla Shire called Fervent. And I had done it when I was like 24, 23. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a good starting point. You know, have you have you seen the movie War Room? I said, yes, I'd seen War Room. I remember that. And so you know, they got me the DVD war room. And I remember watching that. And I was like, okay, I need a prayer room. I need a, a strategy. And the strategy that the Lord gave me, I have it to this day on paper. You can't see this. You can only hear me mm-hmm. reading from it. But um, one of the videos, you can look up videos on YouTube and it will be an association, association to like some of the lessons in the book. And there was a video that she was doing on one of these particular chapters. And so I wrote down here four things that will take you through this and onward with God. And the scripture that was given to me that I had to revisit over and over and over again was Exodus 14 verses 13 through 14. 
And it says, but Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you, you, which is me, I highlighted, (laughs) keep (laughs) silent, keep Mm. silent. So underneath that, in my time with the Lord and, and stewing on that scripture, there was four things I wrote underneath that. And it was four steps of what I was going to do and how I was going to make it. And it was number one, be fearless. Do not fear. Number two, be still, stand by. Number three, be watchful, see the salvation of the Lord. And number four, mm-hmm. shh, be quiet. And the reason why this particular strategy to essentially save my marriage um, was so vital and so important because these were things that I had to do that I'd never done before. I had never really been obedient to what God had asked me to do. And the Lord was going to allow me to be tested in that every single second of every single day. And no, it's not easy. It sounds easy saying it now. But in the moment, it was pure hell. When I made this decision, I remember it being, um, let me see here, the first week of September is when I had uh, written this down and, and gone through this. And I remember telling, you know, the Clarkson telling Sister Brenda about this. And Sister Brenda was like, okay. And she's like, this is the moment that you've made the decision. You made up your mind that this is, we're not going back and forth. We're going to dig our heels in and no matter what comes, no matter what happens, we're going to be faithful. We're going to see God come through. Hmm. And I said, okay. And when I, when I made that commitment, all hell broke loose. Absolutely. (laughs) All hell broke loose. Um, I remember things to make a long story short, (laughs) my husband, he's not a vicious person by nature, but I, I was able to see something that I had never seen. Um, in my husband's, it was on him, in him, whatever it was. Um, but he had drained the bank accounts to where I had to rely on my parents. There's no reason. <laughs> Both of us having very well paid jobs, there's no reason for me to not have enough money to me to get my groceries, you know, to mm-hmm. put gas in my car. I had to rely on my parents for that. Um, that was really humbling. Uh, just my husband not being truthful and, and people bringing things to my attention that, you know, hey, he was at the casino. Hey, he was, you know, not here. What is this charge on this account? You know, um, and then the way that my husband would talk to me, you know, he was just very cold and he would be very double minded. And I had gone out there, I believe three times I had gone out there to visit him. And when I would go out there, we would pray. I mean, cover me in oil and everything like it was a whole ordeal they would pray over me to go visit him and when I would go Holy Spirit was on the move he had prepped the way and it seemed like my husband was back like the the wool was taken off his eyes his heart was softened you know he was like I'm he he never apologized (laughs) for cheating he would say I'm sorry that you were hurt is -hmm. what he would say And so he didn't make it easy for me. It was very difficult. He was very unrepentant. And every time we would get together, he would be like, okay, okay, I think we can do this. But when we would get apart, 
something, someone, the enemy was working. So I remember um, at that time, this was pre-COVID. So I was working in a hospital building and I would go on my lunch break and every break that I had, I would go up to the rooftop of the hospital and I would be screaming up there because your voice gets lost in the city. Mm. So no one can really hear you screaming up there. But I'd be screaming up there, you know, all the worship songs. And I would be praying all the songs. And the Lord gave me, I mean, song after song after song. The very first song that he gave me was Defender. And it was the version where Stephanie Gretinger from Bethel Church mm-hmm. is singing that song. Um, you know, he goes before you know that that song Defender. I think yes. Francesca Battistelli mm-hmm. came out with another one with that, another version of that. Um, but that was the very first song. And then Victory came out. And in the midst of all of this, because this this went on until he came home, he came home in March of Mm. 2020. And up until my birthday, which was in February of 2020, he was just so much back and forth, like we would make so much progress, and he would be so back and forth. And um, through all of this, like you said, there were some painful, painful things, things that he said, things that he did, things that had to trust 100% only in Jesus. but then there was the most beautiful moments of my life. I did a lot of things on my own and I was supported by a lot of people. Um, you know, when I didn't have, I mean, I was treated out to dinners and to get manicures and pedicures. I was really pampered and taken care of, which was nice. You know, the Lord really just kind of showed out there. He used people to like show off. And I had some of the most beautiful encounters in my prayer room and I remember uh, walking in Centennial Park in the in the fall. That fall, it was probably close to November. The weather we're here in the South, so the weather's just absolutely stunning, and just knowing the goodness of God. And I had pictures in my phone um, with the dates on them of you know just how beautiful the sky was. And mm-hmm. if I would go to church, you know the message, what was going on there, and the Lord would talk to me every day through someone, through something, it would be an Instagram post. It would be a sign. I was looking for God everywhere, everywhere. Mm. And he was extremely faithful to meet me every single day, every single day. And honestly, I think that um, when the time came home for my husband to come, to come home, I think with me, one key thing that I would, I would say to anyone because I think I on to for the longest part, I wanted to have like control. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the Lord, you know, he let me be a part of, of, of some things, you know, he let me go on the trip, you know, he could have told me, no, stay home, don't go over there, you know, but the Lord told me to go and I was obedient to go. You know, he told me to be intimate with my husband. Imagine being intimate with your husband, not knowing that's obedience right, right there. <laughs> like right. That's obedience right there. And so you know, I, I was like, okay, but I had, I had like, oh, well, you know, if I just put my input here, I'm gonna put my input there. And I remember my husband was a little bit um, irritated around my birthday because they were trying to do uh, testing or whatnot to close out, you know, to come home. And um, I had baked a cake <laughs> and I wanted him to be proud of this cake. And so we had made some kind of progress. I thought that I could call him on a Saturday to show him this cake that I was going to, for my own birthday, for my own 30th birthday, I mean, my own cake. And I was like, wanting to show him because it's kind of comical. And I just wanted to have that intimate, friendly moment with my best friend, right? My right. husband, my spouse. 
And he just was, it was just, it was complete opposite of what I wanted. And I remember saying, okay, I'm done. You can feel however you want to feel. I love you. When it's time to come home, we'll work that out. You can call me if you want to call me. That's fine. And I hung up the phone. I called my parents. I said, I'm done. (laughs) If Jesus doesn't do this, I'm not going to put any, that's it. Yeah. I've been obedient. I've been good. I've tried. I've overlooked. I've looked the other way. That's it. If God doesn't, if God really doesn't do it, then then God doesn't do it. And it's a two-part process. You know, you, Mm -hmm. my husband has to allow God to work in his life. You know, he has to allow things uh, to change him too. It can't just be me. It's, It's not just me saving this marriage. He had to make some kind of, you know, you can't force someone to be with you. Absolutely. So it was either he was going to come home and he was going to go to his mama's house or he was going to go somewhere else or he's going to come home and he was going to fix this with me. Right. But I wasn't going to go above and beyond and be as patient and hold my mouth. Um, and that was one of the biggest things. And the reason why I brought that up earlier, those four key points, be fearless, be still, be watchful and should be quiet is it was so specific to me. I had been a person for so long that had so much fear inside of her that had to control everything and I was never still I was always going and doing for everyone else and trying to make it happen and being watchful seeing the salvation of the Lord well I'm not God God is God and I cannot continue to pretend or think that I am God that I am the one in charge that I'm gonna make this happen so I had to Mm -hmm. let him do it and the biggest one is to be quiet I always had an opinion about everything. I always had to say everything. You know, there was a lot that the Lord really worked out in me. And, you know, there was three weeks from my birthday to the time he had to come home. And I think my husband really took it to heart (laughs) what I had said. And he was a little bit more, um, as it came closer to come home, I guess when he saw like, wait a second, she's not texting me. She's not calling Mm me. What's, oh, hold on a second, like, am I going to be able to go home? Like, did I, did I, is this door shut? Am I coming home? Right. <laughs> he, I remember talking to him late the weekend before, which was unusual, but he was in a good mood. And we talked to like the wee hours of the morning and he was like, I'm going to buy you a plane ticket to come out so that we can drive back together. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I want you to pack up stuff from my apartment to help me move back home, like to get everything back home. Mm. I said, are you sure? I was like, okay, well, tomorrow after you've had time to sleep, because it's late. Right. If you want to buy that ticket, sure, I'll take the time off. And sure enough, I didn't say anything. I didn't have to remind him or anything. And he's like, I got that ticket. Here's the confirmation or whatever. Make sure you take the days off. Mm completely floored completely floored and so like we get there and uh we didn't know this but covid was happening (laughs) and so it's it's the whole thing was a whirlwind we almost didn't even make it out of dc i said god you got us this far and we were just so scared because we didn't know what was happening and they were shutting down the soldier's thing. So he had to get special permission to leave. We were literally sitting there until the last second of the day in like one of the army basements (laughs) of the hospital. 
And they're like, okay, you guys can go. You guys can go. Everyone else has to stay. Oh, and Sixto, yes, you are released from duty or whatnot. And I was like, praise the Lord. And he, but he <laughs> came home. Girl, he came home. Mm. I said, what am I going to do with this man who's home and has no job? And it's just me. And like we had X amount of savings and COVID's happening. And what's going to go on? Mm. And really, the, those first three months, the Lord really took that time because there was no way for him to get a job because COVID. <laughs> right. Um, he really took that time to just really do a lot of repairing in both of us. That's awesome. And here we are a year later. And no, things are not perfect. No, things are not, oh, my God, you know, we're just so wealthy. We have kids. Like, no, <laughs> we're still in the, the midst of the journey. But the the healing that the Lord has done, the ability to forgive, the ability to honor each other, the way that we talk to each other now um, is very different. I'm very considerate of him, which I wasn't in, the, in ever really. Um, mm-hmm. And then him, his ability to serve me in the way that I want to be served, he's more willing to do. And we work more as a team. And that story, I mean, my story is not, and it doesn't end there. There's much more to come in the future, but um, essentially but it's that. being written and I love that um, there's little pieces and there's going to be victories and there's going to be trials and I think that's just kind of the nature of life you know we go through the hilltops and the valleys and we're there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and I love that you were saying you know I kind of came to the end of my rope where I'm going God it's on you like I'm done I finished and I know you don't know this because you weren't a part of the conversation but I literally talked about this yesterday too when I was recording another episode that that beauty and surrender, as hard as it is, there's no way to describe the peace that you feel once it's there, you know, to go, I don't have to think about this 24 seven. This does not have to consume me. This does not have to be where my mind is all of the time. I'm letting go. God, let it be what it is. And I know it's hard or it's, it's probably hard for some that may be listening to go, well, you're on the other side and it worked out great for you. It didn't work out so good for me. And to me, I know it's easy to say, well, I'm on the other side of infertility. So I can tell you that it's worth the wait. It's worth the commitment. It's worth the, you know, the surrender. Whereas I know that there's women out there who've never had kids that are going, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but I think part of that and in what you were saying is, if God had never fixed it, I think if, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you were just at a sense of peace of knowing you had done everything you could do. And that if it wasn't going to be fixed, that it was going to be God that was saying, this isn't going to be fixed. You know, it wasn't a matter of you've left something undone kind of thing. And I think that's the beauty and surrender is that unfortunately we do allow ourselves to get rung through the ringer for probably far longer than we ever really needed to, because God's like, would you just let go? Let go and let me have it. Let me drive. I promise we'll go up this mountain a lot faster if you will let me steer kind of thing. We've we've circled this about six times now. <laughs> we should have <laughs> yeah, turned, absolutely. you know, type thing. But it's hard to let go because you're going, obviously, you don't know my life. Like, you don't know how this feels, Lord. You don't know my husband. You don't know what he's going to do if I if I just take my hands off. What if he walks away and doesn't come back? You know, what if he says, fine, this is my chance. I'm done. You know, God's like, hold on. <laughs> I know your husband. I know him better than you do. And I know how this is going to play out. Let me let me be in control. But it is such a hard idea surrender when you don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know what the future holds. And that's why I mentioned that story in the beginning. You know, the woman with the bleeding, she didn't, 
you know, 12 years, she had no idea when that healing was coming. She was just holding on to this promise that Jesus was going to do something. And we also talked about, um, you know, Anna, she was told she was going to see Christ. And that's all she was holding on to is she's going to see Christ. And, you know, she was determined to have that, didn't know when it was going to happen. But these just stories of faith of going, I don't know how this is going to pan out in the end, but one way or another, there's going to be a victory and I'm going to find this and we're going to come back to it. And one of the things I love about the book, you know, Fervent, and I still need to watch War Room. I haven't watched it, but (laughs) this idea of really writing down and um, focusing on your 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 victories that God has brought you through because like you said your story is not over. There's a lot more to be written and there's a lot more that's going to come and I'm sure there'll be days of trial. There's going to be days of triumph and there's times that you're going to look back and go, "Lord, I don't know if you can do this." And he's going to go, "Do you remember, you know, when this was part of your story and you said, "I don't know how I'm going to do this." And we have a phrase we use a lot at our church um where it says we're going to work as though it depends on us, knowing that it depends fully on God. You know, we're going to put in every bit of effort that we can as though it's our responsibility, but knowing that without God, it's not going to happen. So I love that that's kind of a resounding, you know, thing throughout your story is that you you didn't throw in the towel. You didn't say, God, I'm just going to let you do everything and I'm not going to put in any effort. I'm not putting in any work on my part, because I think that's part of just from the counseling perspective you see with a lot of marriages, there's one person that wants to work, the other one doesn't, or neither of them want to work. They just want their spouse to commit to changing everything that they, you know, are doing wrong because they're perfect and their spouse is wrong. <laughs> and, you know, you're if you steer on just one side of a canoe, you're going to go in circles. You know, you both have to be working together and making equal effort for it to really start to move forward. But I love that there is beauty for you maybe not beauty at the time, you know, that whole beauty from ashes thing in the waiting in, in the waiting, there was this time I think where, um, you know, I won't assume I know God's agenda by any means, but that he knew if you and Edward were in the same home, that these changes wouldn't have been made and it would have ended in destruction and him going, you know, we've got to pull them apart for a minute because otherwise she's not going to see where I need her and he's not going to see where I need him. And, yeah, yeah, that kind of split apart and really just pulling apart and saying, we're going to break this down and we're going to get it to the dust so that I can rebuild it the way that I had intended from the beginning. Because I think, as you said, you guys weren't, you know, attending church in the very beginning of your marriage and you weren't doing the things that God, you know, had necessarily called you to do. And I want to be careful. I don't want to say if you don't go to church, <laughs> you're going to end in divorce. No, but, no. but is that God's plan? I think that he does, you know, he wants that strength and that unity and that community and going, you know, what you guys have here is okay and it's good and I, but I can make it better. So I'm going to break it down and it's going to hurt for a minute and it's going to get a little ugly. It's going to get dirty. Dust isn't pretty, but I'm going to create it into this beautiful masterpiece and we're going to continue to add to it as we go. And I think that that's just such a cool story to hear. But I guess my last question for you is, you know, before we go is again, you are on somewhat of the other side of this. I know you guys are still walking through some of the the lingering, you know, effects of it all. Why didn't you quit? Like why did you not walk away? Because I, I know you said you had that promise, <laughs> but is that real? <laughs> I sit here and go, Lord girl, if that was my husband. <laughs> I'm like, mm, let me think. Um, I literally wanted God so bad. I said God this, I want to see if you said it, and I've seen um, 
I had gotten so desperate. I was I was looking up testimonies mm. on online on YouTube, and I I was <laughs> like, okay, if you did it for them, if you did it for these grandmamas, if you did it for these mm-hmm. like you're no respecter of person, and you're telling me and and. This is, I felt like this was like a Moses moment, you know, Moses <laughs> right. was up on that mountain talking to a bush and, you know, it's like, I'm crazy. This is crazy. All of this is crazy, but this is too, cra- too crazy to not be real. Right. And every single time I wanted to give up, A, I had that support system. God had placed those people in my life any hour of the day and I would literally Sometimes it would be three or four times in a day. I'm giving up. I'm giving up. And they'd be like, no, we're standing on this promise. Are we, we, we're not going to change our minds based off of our emotions. We're not going to let the enemy play our emotions. We're going to make decisions based off of facts, what we see and what God is saying. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And the reason why I didn't, I just, I couldn't. There was one particular testimony, uh, Karen Wheaton, if anyone who's listening has ever heard of her her story with her daughter being a prodigal and her daughter leaving her husband for two years, mind you, two Oof. years. And her husband, I mean, they had, again, great foundation in the ministry, you know, and, and the enemy just really blinded Lindsay, her daughter, and for two years. And the Lord was faithful to Miss Karen for two years to the entire family, everyone that was praying and gave word after word. Mm. And I said, if if she could do it and she's believing in this word and God, you know, if God is the God of the universe, then I'm going to play this out. I'm going to wait and see this because in one particular part of their testimony, the Lord had given a vision to Miss Karen that when Lindsay was going to come out of this, this, you know, the enemy had had her like in a box, like a type, mm-hmm. like a jail jailed up that when uh the lord was going to deliver Lindsay, there was going to be this army of young people coming after Lindsay mm. that would be um freed from addictions freed from infidelity freed from all these things but her testimony would do this and i said what is it was more than just me it was the promises that god gave for generations for futures you know for my for children to come these children yeah. They wouldn't come, you know, these, these women, what if there's other women, there's no one else that I know millennials that are like, most millennials are like throw them out with the garbage. Right. It's, it's, it's okay. definitely not the norm to stick around. It's not the norm to mm-hmm. stick around. And, you know, God was super faithful because immediately, you know, I'm a, per- a person who wants to see some kind of results. Like, okay, yes, I suffered through this. Some of it was, you know, reaping what I, I ate chose. a salad. Where's my five pounds? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, you know, I'm like, all right, I need to see something because 2020 was very unexpected. And I was like, God, I don't really get it. And lo and behold, the Lord brought a lady into my life, a young lady that we're the same age, who was going through the same thing, literally at the same time. Mm -hmm. It was July of 2020. When I started my journey, it was July of 2019. And she actually had to walk through divorce with her husband, but Mm -hmm. the Lord had given her promises. And we had uh, the community at the church, you know, that I had been attending, we had an online community like Facebook group. And she right. had put into the group desperately, please pray for my marriage. I believe that God is going to restore my marriage, but it's, it's almost completely destroyed. Like there's no hope, you know, there's been infidelity and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I just know that God said that 
he would restore it, but I don't know how to do it. And I reached out to her, which was bizarre. I'm not that type of person that's like, <laughs> you're a complete stranger. Like, I have no idea. And I reached out to her and I just shared a quick snippet. I said, look, exactly one year ago today, I was exactly where you were at. And a whole year later, the Lord has restored it and he's working on, on, and I promise you, if this is what you and the Lord have worked out, I can give you resources. I can pray for you. I can, I can give you what Mm -hmm. I know and I can stand in agreement for you. And she walked her little journey. And the, the amazing thing was, is we were finally at a year later for her as well. We were Mm -hmm. in a women's ramp conference meeting. And she was able to give her testimony up there and did an altar call. And she said about 50 women that were walking through the same thing. They were able to pray. That's incredible. And she was, <laughs> it blew my mind. And she said, I, you know, and it was funny because I had left that service early to take my sister so that she could go back to, uh, you know, the hospital because she was working at a hospital. And so I missed that part of the service. And she said <laughs> she was so upset. She wanted me to come up there and share I said, girl, no, it's all the same story. Most of us mm-hmm. work, walk a similar story. But that that in itself. Just the power and equipping. I love that the there's no wasted. Nothing's wasted. Nothing, nothing wasted. is ever wasted. And I think that that is, that is beautiful. And I think that that's kind mm-hmm. of a, a refresher for any trial that somebody's walking through. It's never, ever going to be wasted. If you seek to give God the glory. Amen. There's an opportunity to do it. Unless you just want to sit back and be quiet. Like, and you just never know. You don't know who you're going to encounter. You don't know who you're going to talk to. You don't know who you're going to, you know, hear a story of that all of a sudden it just, it's that refresher you need. And I think you had the experience of getting that renewing every time you started to feel a little dry throughout that season. And I think that that's, you know, now kind of the mantle you're able to pass on to other people to go, I know what it's like to feel like you're ready to quit. And I'm not going to let you quit because. The Bible says when you've done all you can do, you just you stand. stand, you stand and you stay strong and you stay firm and you trust that God is going to do everything he said he was going to do, even though everything around you is saying otherwise. So I think that that is lovely. I will, um, I guess we'll try to wrap it up here. I know, I know there's so much and there's so much goodness here, but I do very much thank you for coming on here and letting us, you know, hear your story and kind of hear some of, you know, the, the ups and downs of it and really where God's ultimately brought you guys. And as you said, the story's not done. Um, there's much more to be written. I look forward to hearing of babies. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> oh, y'all be praying. Whoever hears, pray for multiple <laughs> blessings. <laughs> All the babies. Um, All the babies. And we'll have to bring you back on to have that testimony when that rolls through. But I, like I said, I thank you very much for coming on and for just being vulnerable and sharing your story. And I pray that anybody that does hear this, you know, if you're walking a path um, similar to Kayla's or even one that might be, you know, a little different or really if you're walking through anything, please let us know. I'm going to include the email in the comments um, or in the description of the podcast, rather. Email us. I, I will wholeheartedly be praying. I've got a group of women that will absolutely join alongside of you. And I'm sure I haven't asked her this. So I'm going to put her on the spot. If you guys want to reach out to Kayla personally, um, yes, you know, I can get you in contact with her to say, look, you know, I want to talk to somebody who's actually been there and done this. But also if you've got a story that you want to share or something that you feel like God's saying, I'm not wasting this. I'm not going to waste this, you know, trial that you walk through. I want to, sh- I want you to share my story. Please reach out to us for that. I'd love to sit down and talk with you and, and have these conversations because there's so much power in knowing that you are not alone. If the en- enemy can isolate you, he will destroy you. 
Um, get yourself into the community of women. Learn from other people's stories. Find that light and that source of refreshing. When everything else seems dim and dark, we will lock arms with you. We will pull you out of that tunnel. We will do whatever we have to do to really just storm the gates of hell. We're not willing to let the enemy win. We're not willing to let you know the darkness overtake you that's just not the kind of business we're in and that's not the kind of god we serve um i know that he's capable and he's willing if we're just willing to be obedient and that lovely word surrender <laughs> you oh know not goodness. always a fun one but <laughs> a necessary one so thank you again kayla and for everybody listening we will be back um in another week with another episode from another wonderful lady thank you